We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. see all of you today at Branches. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm the pastor here, and just a joy and privilege to be with you in worship today. As you saw from the bumper video, we're in a series, the second week of a series called Now and Not Yet. We're trying to balance that mystery between uh, the way the world is now, the reality we face every day, and especially with what we see in the news and even in our own city, and then looking forward into the future, this expectation that Christians have dared to have for centuries, that it won't always be this way. And so we're glad that you're here as we continue in that series. If you would take a minute and check in and let us know that you're here. There's a QR code on the screen. You can scan that and just let us know that you're here today. Uh, It helps us stay in contact with you so you know what's going on in the life of our community, how we can uh, better serve you, pray for you, and just kind of keep you up to date with what's happening here. So we'll leave that up for a minute for you to do that and just want to thank you again for being here today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning, for the fact that you woke us up, for the joy that you've brought to this place, for the spirit of rest in you that we can feel in this room today. And we just ask that by that same spirit, you would encourage us and equip us to be your people. As we live in this now, we would be people of the not yet. We'd set an expectation of hope, of transformation, of change in our world, and that we would be leaders in that, by you, through you, in you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. I was thinking a lot about Uh, this idea now and not yet, this, for many people, lofty theological concept, but also uh, descriptive of a lot of things in our own lives. Uh, During the season of Advent, we'll we'll come to just in a couple of months, as we expect Christmas, we learn how to wait. We learn how to look on the other side of the way things are now, and we kind of train ourselves during Advent to be people who wait. I think we've all been in that situation before, like we're in, we're in a reality, and maybe it's a really tough reality, or maybe it's just really mundane, boring reality, and you're like, is this all there's going to be? Or is this setting the expectation for the way things are going to be down the road? Or is, is the way it is right now the way it's always going to be forever and always, and maybe just in an intensified sort of way? And so maybe it's you're waiting for a job or a diagnosis or for a relationship to be reconciled, or you're just waiting for something, anything at all, the slightest excitement to happen. And this expectation maybe is set in your life for the way things are going to be, and you're rather than not be that way. <laughs> I, I've told this story before. Maybe you've heard me tell it before. I was thinking about it actually over the weekend. Uh, when I studied abroad, uh, I was in Oxford, and we took a few days, uh, some, me and some friends, to travel to Ireland. I've always wanted to go to Ireland. I ended up writing my thesis in college about an Irish author, care a lot about Ireland, was excited about it. It was my first time going. And uh, we took a train from Oxford to Wales, and then a ferry from Wales across the channel over to 
Dublin. Uh, and it was a really wonderful trip. Uh, and I, you know, I, I paint it very beautifully now, but there were some hiccups along the way. Uh, and the hiccup's name was Jack, uh, who was one of our traveling companions. Uh, I love Jack. He always wore a top hat. I don't know why, uh, but that's how I remember him forever and always. Top hat Jack, we called him. Uh, and Jack, we studied abroad with him. Super nice guy, kind of a mess. Uh, and when we were in uh, Oxford, we decided to take this trip for like four or five days to Ireland. And so we were planning it together, like me and a few other friends. And so we wanted to buy our train tickets ahead of time and get our ferry tickets to make sure it was all timed out perfectly and then find a hostel that we could stay in that was uh, not that expensive, but you know, inexpensive enough that we could afford it, but not, not, not too inexpensive that we'd be scared to stay there. Uh, and so we were, did all this planning. We were going to go visit this place and that place. We were excited about it, and Jack wanted to tag along. And we already knew Jack, uh, in our experience, was um, hesitant to, well, spend money or take action on anything. Uh, and so we were a little worried about it. We were like, we're young adults. He'll figure it out, and he wants to go. He can do his own thing. So we got to the train station in Oxford, and uh, we went up to, you know, to have them take our tickets, and I could see Jack kind of looking around, and he's like, where do I buy tickets? He hadn't bought his ticket yet. So we showed him and he bought his train ticket and he was able to get on. So we rode the train to Wales and then there's this kind of station where you transfer from the train station to the ferry station. And again, he had this lost puppy dog look on his face. Uh, where do I buy my ferry ticket? We're like, bro, <laughs> we all have ours. Like, where have you been? And so we found his ferry ticket and we got uh, on the ferry and rode it to Dublin. When you go to Dublin, uh, then you're on Euros. And so uh, we did some exchanging beforehand. We thought ahead. Jack didn't. We got there. Uh, we got to the bus to pay to get on the bus to ride to our hostel. Um, he didn't have any money. So I paid for Jack's bus ticket. And so Jack got on the bus, and we rode the bus to the hostel. And then after that, we had a great time. And actually, that night, we all paid for his dinner because he hadn't exchanged any currency yet. Um, and then we had a great trip. And it snowed in Dublin. Beautiful, formative experience in my life. And we're going back, and we're going back on a Sunday. We needed to be back Monday for classes, and so we were going back on a Sunday, and we knew that we were going to arrive in Wales after we rode the ferry um, sometime late, late into the evening, and then take an early morning train from Wales back to Oxford. So... <laughs> Long story short, long, long story. We walked to the station, and uh, we kind of just sat in the Holyhead, Wales, um, uh, uh, the, sorry, the, it, we took the ferry, got to Wales. We were in the station. It was freezing cold. The automatic doors uh, didn't work. They just kept opening and closing, so every few seconds, a cold gust of wind would come in, so we couldn't really fall asleep or do anything. It was miserable. And the train comes. It was like 3 a.m. for us to get on the train. Everybody had a ticket, except Jack. <laughs> and the uh, ticket counter for the train back to Oxford was closed. And you couldn't buy one on the train. Uh, and we were not going to stay with him. <laughs> we weren't going to wait. We had to get back. And I have this just, it's etched into my brain of me and my friend Grant sitting in the train, looking out the window, and top hat Jack like this <laughs> on the platform as we left him. Uh, and we got back to Oxford, and Monday nights with our, our friend group uh, was, it was burger and pint night at this place where we, next to where we all stayed. And we were like, okay, Jack knows his burger and pint night. We're all going to meet up. We haven't heard from him. I think he hadn't paid his uh, cell phone minutes for his cell phone in England. Surprise. Uh, so we couldn't get a hold of him. We just hoped and prayed that he was going to be okay. The expectation was like, 
not good, like is Jack okay, is he still in Wales and he just lives there now or something. Uh, and so we, we uh, went out for burger and pint night, we all got there on time, we had a seat for Jack, he was not there yet, and then it was just like, a applause moment. Jack comes around the corner. We see him through the window. Jack made it. He made it. He got on the train and he rode by himself back to Oxford. We like cheered and cheered and cheered. And all along the way, I mean, like, I love Jack, but it was frustrating. Like, we had to help him. And the expectation was like, is he really, truly going to be able to find his way back? Like, will he miss his stop? Will he get on the wrong train? Will he be able to figure it out? Did he accidentally give us his wallet or something and he's not, he's stuck in Wales? Like, all these things going through our mind. And so the fact that he made it, uh, that he was alive, frankly, uh, was thrilling to all of us <laughs> that Jack made it. We start to make up these stories. You kind of like have these beats along the way of like, okay, this bad thing could happen. And I, I catastrophize. I'm a pro at it. Like, what could have happened to Jack? And at the end, it, was, and it turned out great. There's this uh, famous quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. You probably heard. He, he says, the, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And within just that single word long uh, is not just the length temporally, but it's long and grueling and arduous. And think about the context in which that he, he said that. It was in a sermon he was preaching. He was saying long not only in time, but long in that it's taking forever because we're up against so many obstacles and we face so much obscurity and we have so much stuff in the way and there's so much uh, oppression and marginalization. And the, the arc of the universe is long, Implicit in that is stick with it because then it bends toward justice. And think about the own, your, your, your own arc of your life. Uh, it's long, and no matter your age, it feels long, and you wonder, and you set up things in your life so that it bends toward a certain end goal, a certain uh, kind of teleological end, if you want to put it philosophically, like where am I going, who am I, and where am I going to end up? And Christians have wanted to say with Dr. King that, that the arc of the universe is long and the expectation, the ending in Jesus is total reconciliation and total hope and to total healing, that all people will be reconciled and all of creation, not just humanity, will be made whole and all people will be at peace and all people will love one another and will live in harmony together. That's the expectation. And that's the heartbeat of this sermon series is how that vision of the future collides with our reality, no matter what it is. And I think that's also the foundation of Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, this arc of the universe. And in the argument of Romans, if you've ever read it before, it, Paul kind of sets up two pathways that originally the human pathway was embodied in this figure named Adam, and it bent humanity one way. <laughs> toward their own way, toward self-sufficiency, and they didn't need to depend on God, and they could do it their own way. And maybe occasionally they'd kind of wander the way back into their religious and spiritual life and ask God for guidance, give him permission to give him wisdom and discernment in their life, and then they'd stray away again, this kind of swinging pendulum of things going well and things, things falling apart. And Paul's argument in Romans is that in history, God interjected and said, okay, uh, not only am I gonna show you the way to go, but I'm gonna personally, in a body, in a person, in this person named Jesus, walk the way that you should go. And I'm gonna bend the arc of the universe to one end in and of myself. I'm not gonna send somebody else. I'm gonna come myself. And that's the argument kind of leading us up to chapter eight, starting in verse 18, which is where we're starting today. It says this. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will, and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul paints an expectant hope for people. I think there's kind of three facets to what vision he's painting for the arc of the universe, where it's bending toward and what, what hope we have. And again, especially as, I mean, think about these first Christians experiencing the world that they lived in and, and Roman oppression and trying to be this new, kind of from the outside looking in, cult of people saying this wild thing about this man named Jesus that he was God in the flesh. And what they're up against and the, actually not just the religious life, but the sort of life they live, what the mortality rate was then, how women and children were treated in that time. And Paul is saying, measure that against the hope that we have. And one is greater than the other. In that, he also paints this picture of God as a parent. I uh, heard Tim Keller talk about, like, it's either viewing God as your parent or God as your boss. And if you view God as your boss and something bad happens to you, you're like, well, you really owe me. <laughs> Why does this bad thing happen? This situation that we find ourselves in, you, you should fix this for me. But if God is your parent, or is a metaphor you like to use to understand who God is for you, God rushes in, and we see over, over and over again in the Bible, this God who comes to be alongside you in a personal, kind, compassionate, warm relationship. Also, if you look back at this verse about the suffering of this present time in verse 18, I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Some translations, and maybe the translation if you brought a Bible with you today, doesn't say, I consider the suffering of this present time, but I reckon. Uh, like Paul from Texas or Arkansas. I reckon my sufferings of this present time are nothing compared to the glory I'll experience. But it's this, this choice that translators have made because the word has like a literal connotation of counting. That I've, that I've made an account of the things that I've experienced in this world and the promise that God has made for us, no matter how wild or foolish it seems. And that's because, again, the, the, the arc of the universe and the arc of God's story is a God who repurposes suffering, who doesn't impose suffering on people to teach them a lesson, but a, in a person's suffering, in human suffering, in the suffering that we experience and the suffering we experience secondhand that we witness on behalf of other people. God can, and often does, turn it into something. And that's in no way, and not, not want anyone to hear me say that God imposes suffering in order that he can make something beautiful out of it. But that God does, in fact, do that. God does take whatever suffering we might experience, however random or off-putting or horrible or, or awful it is for us or for people that we love, God can turn it into something beautiful. There's also an uh, imperative that Paul gives, which is helpful for me, uh, because if you're around me long enough, and my wife Landon knows this really well, as a uh, good example is last week we got uh, Tdap vaccines in preparation for the baby coming. 
uh, and just like middle of the day, I kind of like moved my arm around and groaned. And Landon said, oh, is your vaccine bothering you? I was like, yeah, how did you know? She was like, you've mentioned it like 20 times, you know? <laughs> that if I have like even like the slightest injury or inconvenience or uh, being uncomfortable even a little bit, I mention it a lot. <laughs> but Paul says, the Bible says, until that culmination, groan all you want. And that just speaks deeply to my heart. <laughs> but I, in all seriousness, that. Paul not only gives that encouragement for you to groan about the suffering that you, that you experience in the world, but we have a whole prayer book in the middle of the Bible that we're going through in a class uh, on, on the Psalms um, that are not just giving you permission to groan, but giving you the words to groan with, addressed to God, directly to him, the, this permission to groan. And if you continue reading in Romans, not only are we given permission to groan, we're told that God's spirit groans on our behalf. So we hear that God is our parent and, and that God can and does repurpose suffering and that in our suffering, God encourages us to groan and it's a way that we communicate with and bind ourselves with God. And it's ultimately because the, the root of the Christian faith, this, that God came to be with us and groan with us in a body and walks alongside us in it. When we come to this table, we experience firsthand the groan of betrayal of Jesus' friends, although last night he was with them. And, and, and kind of give us a, a, a pre-vision of this cross where Jesus groaned on our behalf, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From the very lips of the one who came to be with us groans and suffering repurposed and the vision of a God who is our loving, caring, compassionate, kind, with us parent. The image I thought of this week was when I was at summer camp as a kid. We had a ropes course, and we also had a tandem ropes course. And the tandem one was great. Pro move is you would invite someone on the tandem rope course uh, that you were interested in uh, because you had to hold hands the whole time. <laughs> uh, and so it was more a, a kind of like a practical thing, but also like a romantic thing. You're like, oh, I hope I don't fall into you, you know? <laughs> uh, because you would stand on these taut wires uh, and you'd face one another with your hands forward and gripping each other's hands, and you'd use each other's balance to sidestep across these wires together. I can think of no better, really static, concrete image than that, that we stand on our wire, hand in hand, with the God who's invited us to come to be on this, and we stand on our now, on the way things are, and the only possible way we can, with shaky steps and nervousness and, and not wanting to look down, the only way we can make it from this platform to that platform is to hold on and to lean into our not yet. Because across from us is our not yet. Across from us is the first fruits of the one who died and suffered and then was given new life and we're told in the New Testament is just the first of many who will experience that. That we stand on our now, and if, if we lean, lean backwards away from it, for, away from this hope and expectation, we fall backward. But if we lean into this expectation before us and this person of Jesus, we can make it across no matter how feebly and, and, and scared and, and risky it is to make it there. When we lean into our not yet, I think there's kind of three practical things for our, our community to kind of understand together what that means. It's not just a platitude. It's something concrete that we can do. The first one is something that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. 
is we lean into our not yet by alleviating suffering. But we look at the, the beginning of hospitals or schools or orphanages or any organizations that lift up the lowly and the oppressed. So many of them were started by people who were leaning into the expectation that, that, that the world the way it is now isn't the way it has to be or always will be. And so we point to our hope when we, when we alleviate suffering and say this image of this person being lifted up from their lowliness or being cared for or their stomach being filled or to be clothed is an expectation that one day we won't have to work for this to happen, it will just be so. We lean into our not yet by alleviating suffering. We, we lean into our not yet by standing in solidarity with people who are suffering even when we're not. I talked about this a little bit last week that sometimes we'll crack open the Psalms in particular and read a prayer and you're like, I don't know how I can pray this because it has nothing to do with me. But it could have something to do with someone else, our neighbor or a friend or especially now in sharp relief, our, our friends and neighbors in Israel and Palestine who are facing suffering not imaginable to many of us or any of us and probably never will be. And we can pray those prayers with them and we, we point to the expectation, the future hope that Christians are promised by praying those prayers with them. By speaking words maybe not that we can say for ourselves that we can say on behalf of another. We point away from ourselves when we uh, alleviate the suffering of others and we pray prayers with them. We also <laughs> point to our not yet by fostering hope, by cultivating environments where people experience more of what it means to live what Jesus called not only life, but life to the fullest. And that doesn't mean a materially prosperous life or a life totally devoid of any suffering or hardship or a life devoid of any obstacle or frustration or longing, but a life that's with others, with one another, a life that can endure suffering, a life that is not alone, a life that says yes to people when others have said no to them. A life that partners us together to be that person on the other side that, that grips tightly, that leans in, that's a safe, soft place to fall. That's a, a community of people who, who open their doors widely and, and have no means test for a person to experience who God is, but do experience uh, what it means to live a life um, of expectation of hope. I've shared this before, but my friend Wallace is a, uh, we grew up together and we've kind of learned a lot from each other with kind of some different perspectives and dis different backgrounds. But one time uh, in a conversation Wallace was having, he, he said that he could describe his uh, political stance, his political ideology or philosophy uh, with this just a simple, a simple phrase. Things don't have to be this way. And I read Romans or I look at the life of Paul or the life of Jesus or the life of the Christian church of people following Jesus for as long as they have been. I think that's the, the anthem, the chant, the song that Christians have been singing for so, so long. And it's not just, it doesn't have to be this way, but even sharper than that, even more pointed than that is, it won't be this way. We won't always face suffering in the world. We won't always have to wonder where the next meal is coming from. We won't always have to wonder if we can be loved or cared for or supported in this world. It won't always be this way. And I, I say this again, not out of my like always deep confidence. Like I don't wake up every morning like, oh yeah, the, the arc of the universe bends toward justice um, and we're, we're, we're gonna get there. I'm not always that optimistic. I think actually probably rarely am I that optimistic. But the, the dare, the imperative that Jesus gives each one of us, 
is to be people who do have that expectation, who cultivate environments where people have that expectation, people who stand in our now and lean into our not yet. That's the good news. That's the promise. That's the prayer that Jesus prays for us that groans on our behalf even now. And that's my prayer for you too. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for uh, this promise, this expectation that though our now is frustrating, boring, mundane, heart-wrenching, full of pain, that we can rely on you for our not yet, that we can rely on you as our parent, that we can rely on you as one who can repurpose our suffering, that we can rely on you as one who can uh, give us a new life, a transformed life, a life of hope, not for ourselves, not for our own enjoyment, but for the world, for the people that you love, for your children. We ask in this moment that you would give us hearts of hope, that we might speak words of hope and live lives of hope. We pray all of this in the name of your son, the one who embodied hope for us, Jesus the Christ. Amen.